You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Our passage comes from Daniel 6, verses 1 through 18. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then these satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be revoked according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, 
Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. You may be seated. Well, happy Mother's Day. Yeah, you don't say happy Mother's Day to me, but yeah. Just thank you. Last I checked, I'm not a mom. But I mentioned in the first service, I thought, well, I said something in the first service that I thought, surely this is going to uh, result in me getting smacked or something, uh, or slapped. I said, I said uh, about uh, just how awesome moms are and amazing you are and and uh, we had at least three women in, in the first service that are very pregnant. And uh, I said, you know, you, you're going to give birth, and, that's, you know, you'll, and you'll forget about the pain. And I thought, that was stupid to say. <laughs> was spoken by one who's never experienced birth or birth pains. I just got to watch. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, do, I really do feel and believe that when it came to just the whole curse and the fall that uh that women you got the short end of the stick we we don't have to give birth or experience any of that but um anyway happy mother's day i had i i wanted to just you know i went on google i spent too much time on the internet trying to find some of the worst mother's day gifts ever given to moms uh i you know i don't know i'm sure you have some stories of your own of worst Mother Day gifts, and some of the guys, you might be thinking, man, I wish I didn't come to church today. He's going to talk about worst Mother Day gifts. But don't worry, I'm not gonna, we're not going to call anybody out. I, I have a list of some gifts that I thought were pretty funny, and I just want to share them with you. And so for those of you who are thinking about getting married or thinking about having children, guys, um, this is free advice. Here we go. Ready? Uh, the first one was a garbage-picked lamp for Mother's Day gift. And this is, what, this is what Anna, who's 37 from Wisconsin, said. said, my husband got me a really beautiful lamp one year. It had a vintage look to it, was colorful, which I love, and seemed like a really thoughtful gift. Yeah, he garbage-picked it. I'm not snobby when it comes to, to spending money on gifts, but I kind of draw the line at garbage. <laughs> it seemed like he just drove by that he drove by a pile in someone's driveway and thought, this will do. It didn't even work. <laughs> he didn't bother to test it before he gave it to me, which showed me that he was too busy or too dumb to care. <laughs> Food poisoning. That was another one. He and the kids made me, <laughs> made me breakfast in bed. It gave, <laughs> it gave me food poisoning. <laughs> we think it was spinach. 
It was the spinach that they used. At the time, I was just in agonizing pain and stuck in the, and was stuck in the bathroom for hours at a time, so I just kept cursing them out, of, out to myself. <laughs> but it was a sweet gesture. Breakfast in bed is a pretty standard Mother's Day gift, so at least they made theirs stand out. Like, yeah. How many of you have ever had food poisoning? Just kidding. Yeah, it's horrible. Here's one. Some of you might be able to relate to this. A gift card from him for him. (laughs) So Mary, 35 years old from Connecticut, said, a gift card to his favorite restaurant was given to me, which is a steakhouse. I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) His response was, they have salads. (laughs) I told him to keep it and get me something more thoughtful. Luckily, the, the, the gift from my kids that year was awesome. They made a cookbook using all of my homemade recipes. It was so adorable. My husband definitely rode their uh, momentum that year. And here's one, and this is the one, because we had, I don't know, uh, how many of you are pregnant in this, here in the service? I know one. Okay, like we had a whole bunch of women in the first service, but <laughs> here's one. Uh, remember the Wii, Fi- the, the Wii Fit? Remember Wii Fit? For, for Nintendo Wii Fit? Okay. Well, 12 days after having my first baby, um, my husband got me a Wii Fit. It's been nine years, and I'm still bitter. <laughs> so some, and then I, I, and then I found a list. I, I just wrote down a bunch of other ones that, that uh, I won't, yeah, didn't, I don't have a comment from the moms, but just some other horrible Mother's Day gifts like deodorant, cleaning supplies, a fire extinguisher, that was actually one that was on the list, a screwdriver, a screwdriver toilet paper, car parts, a dustpan with a broom, which I hope that whoever received that gift took the broom and hit her husband over the head with it, an ironing board, and a half-eaten cake. So, some horrible Mother's Day gifts. <laughs> has nothing to do with Daniel chapter 6, but I thought I'd share it. So if you, ma, here's the thing about moms, um, that the Bible draws imagery from, from motherhood and, as, and ascribes that imagery to who God is, that he's the God who sustains. He's the God who's, uh, who, who never breaks his covenant. He's the God who, whose love is is you know, everlasting. There is a, a beautiful picture of, of, of who God is that's drawn from moms. So, so like after, like I saw this with the birth of you know, both of our children, especially with Nathan, because it was new, that after Nathan was born and he, and, and he was brought to Roy Ma's chest, you know, the, like, there's nothing that I could do to ease the discomfort of my son. You know, I mean, you know how babies are when they get born. They're angry. Like, why am I in this cold environment now? Why, did, why are you doing this to me? And then they, they scream. And part of it is they're breathing for the first time. The other part of it is they're just angry. And, and so when Seth was brought to his mom, or and when Nathan was brought to his mom as well, like I was powerless to ease his comfort. Only she could could provide the the nourishment and the comfort that our our children needed right after they were born. 
there is a, a name that's used of God to, to, that's drawn from that imagery, and that name is El Shaddai. It's translated God Almighty. Now, El is taken from Elohim, which is the word God is used in Genesis chapter 1, and uh, Shaddai is, it can mean a combination of things. Part of it can mean you know, the God who's powerful, but it also means the God who sustains and supplies. He's the sufficient one. It is a picture, the picture of El Shaddai is the picture you would, that the Hebrews would have in their minds of when a child is brought up to the mother's chest to be nursed, right? That is El Shaddai. Now, El Shaddai is not used in the book of Daniel that I'm aware of, but it is all over Daniel's life. The God, this God who is all-sufficient, this God who sustains, this God who keeps those who, who, who belong to him is all over uh, the book of Daniel. The first time El Shaddai is used, it's used in, in, in Genesis uh, chapter 17, after God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child. Now, if you know anything about the story of Abraham and Sarah, they were old, like really, they were really old. Like Sarah was way past menopause. There was no way, apart from a miracle, that she was going to have a child. And God said, you are going to be blessed with a child, Abraham, and through your child, all the nations will be blessed one day. And so, so they kind of doubted that. Uh, and, and if you read their story, they, they got themselves into some trouble because they doubted it. But in chapter 17, God said, I am El Shaddai. I am going to provide you with a child. Like, I'm going to do this. I am God Almighty. In Psalm 91, verse 1, El Shaddai is used. And let's look at the, this verse. Let's read this together. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's a beautiful picture. Uh, there's another one taken from Job, uh, chapter 33. Let's read this together. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Like I, Even though El Shaddai is not used deliberately in the book of Daniel, it was all over his life. All over his life. And so when we, when we think about the life of Daniel, when I think about the life of Daniel, and I ask myself as I'm, as I'm reading this story about Daniel, uh, what, what is it that sustained him? What is it that, you know, he started out, you know, we're introduced to him in chapter 1, and he was faithful to God, and then by the time we get to chapter 60, he is 80 years old or more, and he is still faithful to God. What was it that sustained him? What was his secret? And as I read through the story of Daniel, as I read chapter 6, uh, there are four, four reasons why Daniel never uh, lost his faith. There are four reasons why his faith was never shipwrecked. I use that illustration, you know, just a boat being capsized. Uh, there are four reasons for that. There are four reasons, and those reasons all are based on the all-satisfying, all-nurturing, and all-sufficient God who kept Daniel. And so I'm going to just give you four reasons why Daniel remained faithful. The first is that Daniel dependently sought God. Now, I don't know what led you here, what brought, you know, I don't know, outside of just you got up to come to church, but I don't know what preceded, you know, today in your life. I don't know what hurts you still have, what 
painful memories you, you're still you know, nursing, that you're still dealing with. I, I don't know that, but what I want you to know is that God is a God who is all-sufficient, he's all-sustaining, and that you have worth because you bear his image. Now that's true of every single human being in this room and watching the live stream. But moms, I want you, and women, I want you to especially hear that. Not just the moms. All of, you, all of you females, all you women, I want you to hear that. Because our world is like upside down, isn't it? Like when it comes to gender, it is completely upside down. In the name of equality and feminism, uh, our culture is devaluing women who you are. That, that you are amazing by, by you know, just it, the way God has wired you. You are nurturers. You are life givers. You, you, you're not less than men. You're not greater than men. We, we, we complement each other. We help each other. We are human beings who bear the image of the living God. And that your life and your value flow from who God is regardless of what voices are speaking into your life, you matter. You matter, and you have worth. So Daniel dependently sought God. Like he was just, worship for Daniel was the culture of his life. And uh, the, the reason why that was is because he understood that his life, like uh, God was his life. He was known because of that as, uh, for having an excellent spirit in him. In verse 4, the people who wanted to get rid of him couldn't find any fault in him. Well, why? Because he was a man of character. Like your, uh, your character is shaped by what or who you worship. Do you know that? And Daniel worshipped God and his character was shaped as a result of that. Like as of God. Of God or some person has of God, the God of the Bible, if, you're, if you are seeking him, if you're depending upon him, it will shape your character for the good. And, um, and so Daniel dependently sought God. And so these, these people who wanted to get rid of him, they, they couldn't find any reason or any fault in him, so they, the, the one thing that they thought they knew that they could do is if we can get him to, to, to break one of his, the, the laws of God or at least threaten his, his life in that regard, that, 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 that if, he, if he worships anything else other than God, if we can get him to disobey those kinds of laws, then we've got him. If we can get him to, to uh, you know, remain faithful to his God and violate the laws of our land, then, then that's, a, that's a win for us. I mean, that says something about the life of Daniel. Eighty years, they couldn't find any fault with him. The only thing they could find was, hey, let's, get it. Let's, let's try to get him to disobey God, which we know that we can't. You know, Daniel lost, if you think about his life, I think, I mean, he lost almost everything in his life. Like, think about it. I mean, in Daniel chapter 1, he was forcibly removed from his home by exile. Now, not one verse, not one sentence in Daniel references his parents. Why do you think that is? Probably because they're dead. I'm sure he had siblings, because in those days, you know, you had children, lots of them. Not, a, not one mention of them. And by the time you get to chapter 6, when Daniel's 80 years or more uh, old, it, it, 
his three friends, no mention of them. It would seem that he lost everything, but he really didn't lose anything in his mind because he had God. There's a passage in Habakkuk. It's one of my favorite passages in chapter 3. And, uh, and I think this, like, this, is, this is kind of where Dan, Daniel's heart was. And I want us to read this together. Let's read this together. Ready? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. You know, even if I lose everything, I have not really lost anything. I still have God. And uh, even though sometimes that's, that's hard to see when you're, like, when you're experiencing suffering, how many of you have experienced suffering in your life? Probably all of you, right, on, on some level. How many of you have experienced long seasons of suffering? And it kind of feels like you're just in the ocean treading water, right? And it, like, you just feel like you, there's nothing left to give, and you feel like you're going to sink at any moment. You ever feel that way? I'm sure Daniel did. And, and Daniel said, it's God who sustains me. If it weren't for God, I would be ruined, as I think Daniel would say if he were being interviewed today. The New Testament equivalent to Habakkuk chapter 3, I believe, is Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. Let's read this together. Ready? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Like... Being a mom can be a, thank, a thankless job. Being a parent can be a thankless job, can it? Like, um, like our children, there are certain seasons in their life that they forget who they are. I coined the word, I think it's mine, you know, uh, when they hit puberty. Puberty-induced amnesia, right? So they forget who they are, and they forget who you are. Um, it happens I, almost with every teenager. They go crazy for a season. Um, it's true, you know... And some, some of the teenagers are like, no, no, it's not. That's evidence for your craziness. I'm sorry. Uh, I was there. I was an idiot when I was a teenager. Um, but being a parent could be a thankless job. You, you got voices in our world spe- you know, just kind of screaming at us that our worth is in what we do, is found in what we do. Our worth is in, in, in our image. Our worth is in, is in our accomplishments. Our worth is in our status. And the Bible says, no, your worth is in the fact that you bear the image of the living God and it's found in him and him alone, period. So Daniel was, he, was depe- he dependently sought after God for those reasons, I believe. When no one is looking or noticing, God or, or Daniel understood that he had an audience of one. The same is true for you. Regardless of how many people thank you or don't thank you, there is an audience of one in your life and in your home, at your work, as you, as you, as you follow Jesus. There is an audience of one. And uh, secondly, Daniel was unapologetically satisfied in God. He, was, he had to be. He had nothing else other than God. He was unapologetically satisfied in God. There's a reason why he prayed three times religious. That was, and it wasn't because he was 
legalistic or super religious. That was life for him. That was, that was where he found his, his, his encouragement and his strength. Not only did he pray, but we, we know of from, the, from later on in Daniel, he read the scriptures. He read, other, he read scriptures written by other prophets like Jeremiah. And uh, that's where he found his sustenance. That's where he found his life. You know, I mean, like, if you think about this guy, 80 years old, at least 80 years old. I don't know how, what the average lifespan in those days were, but I don't think it was 80. He had lived a long life. Darius was uh, most likely... I mean, he was a king, but he was, appoint, he was appointed king, probably from Cyrus, from somebody else. Uh, Daniel was still most likely in Babylon, but it was ruled by the Medes and Persians. Um, but what we learn of Darius is that he, lo- he loved this guy. He cared about this guy. What I find very interesting is that, is that we looked at Daniel chapter 5 last week, and what was the last thing that we learned about Daniel in chapter 5? Well, that Belshazzar appointed him third in the kingdom. Then you come to chapter 6, and what's Daniel's status in the kingdom ruled by the Medes and Persians? Number three, he's one of three uh, people who oversaw the governors and, and those in authority you know, under him. A Hebrew, an alien. Darius uh, trusted this man. That's why he, he, he grieved over the... You know, the fact they got manipulated into, into making this um, ordinance, which has become a dirty word in our day. <laughs> Ordinances, rules, right? And, uh, and so that was Daniel. Unapologetically satisfied in God. And even though he was faithful to God, even though he trusted God, what happened? He found himself in the lion's den anyway. I read a commentary, or I read a, comment, a theologian who wrote a commentary on Daniel chapter 6 that I, find, I think is really helpful. I'll have the words on the screen, but he said this. He said, in light of Daniel chapter 6, he said, God is not committed to our comfort. He is not committed to making our path through life smooth. He is committed to sanctifying us. Now, if you don't know what the word sanctification means, it just means this process of being made more like Jesus, this process of becoming holy. That's called sanctification. So he is committed to sanctifying us and demonstrating his own glory in and through us. And very often that commitment means he will subject our earthen vessels, vessels, our body, you know, our bodies, to pressures that would certainly shatter us were his grace not sufficient for us. The Lord will take you into the eye of the storm to show you that he is the storm's master and that he can make your fragile vessel float safely through to the other side. His wonderful plan for your life is to sanctify you through trials and tribulations. And how true that is. Like I, often when we're treading, we feel like we're in the middle of the ocean called suffering and we're just treading water, just hoping that we won't drown. Um, it, often it's hard to see God's hand in that. But, but it's easier, much easier to see his hand when, after we've been through it. How many of you have seen, were able to kind of look back on your life and see the hand of God in the midst of your suffering? Like, I, me, definitely. Just, I could see how he was molding and shaping our family, molding and shaping us. We've had our share of suffering in our, in, in our lives. 
as a family. And so have you. And uh, God is in the business of taking what seems to be ugly, what seems to be what is very painful, and he's in the business of turning it around and making it into something beautiful. Do you think Daniel chapter 6 would be in the Bible if Daniel had not experienced his own share of suffering? Think about it. Do you think at the age of 80 that he would have been able to hear this ordinance that was signed by King Darius, who he apparently had a good relationship with, and instead of hiding, go up, up into his room to that open window that faced Jerusalem to pray three times a day? You know why he prayed three times a day, and do you know why he faced Jerusalem? I believe because he was holding on to the promises of God. He knew what the promises of God were, that there would be a deliverer who would come, who would, who, who would judge the nations, and he would make all that is wrong with this world right. In fact, the very next chapter, in Daniel chapter 7, he, he, he talks about that. He talks about that promise. Why did he pray towards Jerusalem? Because the king of kings and lord of lords would come from the tribe of Judah, the line of kings. That's why he prayed towards Jerusalem. He was holding on to hope. He was holding on to the promises of God. You want to know the, the best way to, to endorse suffering in your life is to hold on to the promises of God. I call it clinging to the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is Genesis through Revelation. It is the story about a God who loves his people, treasures them, and has their good at his heart as he displays his glory through their lives. Daniel was satisfied in God because he understood that unlike the world around him, God was for him and not against him. I don't know about you, but kind of... I, when the Bible describes God's people as being aliens and sojourners, I feel like that more. I feel more like that today than ever before in my life as a Christian. How about you? Where you're viewed as a bigot because of your biblical view of marriage, or you know, or you name it, or hateful because because of your understanding of of gender. You know, things haven't really changed. It's just different dress. Daniel was unapologetically satisfied in God. You want to you wanna be able to live your life faithfully to God. If you you, you got to be satisfied in him. you got to understand that, that he is your life. That I said this last Sunday. I, I, almost, I say it all the time. That everything in us was wired to know God. Like in our DNA part of what makes us human is, is that we're designed to worship the God of all creation. Find our satisfaction. And if, if we're ever going to have any hope of being satisfied in this life, we've got to first find our satisfaction in him. And then thirdly, Daniel prayed regularly to God. It's just a testament to his dependence upon God. Like the hope of Cheyenne, the hope of you know, Meadowbrook, your hope, my hope, is not dependent on our own power, our own ability, you know, our, our, our talents or our skills. It's dependent upon God alone. 
Like every major move of God, every awakening, every revival that has ever happened in human history, do you know when that has happened? It has happened on the coattails of prayer, of God's people praying. Daniel prayed three times, three times a day. Um, One person put it this way. He said, "A, a, a prayerless Christian is like a bus driver whose bus got stuck, he gets out of the bus, and, he's pu- and he pushes the bus, trying to get the bus out of a rut, at the, all the while, while Clark Kent is sitting in the bus. Like, you know, like Clark Kent, Superman, right? So, a pr- when all the Christian is like that bus driver, you're pushing and pushing the bus, thinking you can get it out of the rut, when all, the, all this time, Clark Kent has been sitting in the bus, all you had to do was ask him, Get the bus out of the rut, please. Daniel leaned into God in, the, in that way. Like he, he knew, like, I have no control over the circumstances of my life. The only one who does is the God of all creation. He's the one who raises up kings. He's the one who deposes them. He's the one that will judge nations. He's the one, he, he's the one that, 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 that will um, not only destroy nations, but he raises up nations. He, he grants them power for a season. Like he is bigger, like Daniel understood that God was bigger than his circumstances. That's why when he found out that there was a death threat for, upon his life for worshiping God, if he worshiped God, that, um, that, that there was a death threat on him. And, and so what did he do? He understood that his, that his God could meet his God-sized circumstances. And how about you? Like I don't, like, you ever deal with a wayward child before? If you have dreams, moms and dads, you know, for your children, they didn't go the way that you hoped that they would go? Like, you know, when you hold that little life, I mean, <laughs> I, that was the first time that I, I, you know, with the birth of Nathan, I, I was overwhelmed. Like, he, he could, like, fit in my two hands. Not anymore. He, it would be hard. Um, <laughs> but he could, he could fit in my hands. I remember, like, I was in seminary and studying and I would, I, would, I would be reading a book and Nathan would just be like on my chest, right? But I was overwhelmed by the reality that I was responsible for this little life. And, and just, and I knew that, that, I mean, I had dreams, you know, for him. I still have dreams for him. I have dreams for Seth. I have dreams for Zeldon. But, but the, at the end of the day, it is God who holds my son, my sons in his hands. God is bigger than your circumstances. I don't know what disappointments you came in this room with, but God is bigger than your circumstances. He is the all-sustaining one. He's the sufficient one. And, and your life might not go the way that you want it to go, but trust me, he is doing something beautiful in your life. You might not be able to see it right now, but one day you will. Whether it's on this side of eternity or the other side of eternity. So, Daniel learned that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to the king will be cast into the den of lions. And so what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. Because he depended upon God. Which leads me to the fourth, the fourth thing that we learn about Daniel is that Daniel confidently trusted God. 
He confidently trusted God. Think about this, right? There are thousands and thousands of people in most likely Babylon where this takes place. And it would have been easy for, for Daniel to kind of coast and give the impression that he was obeying the king's laws without really obeying the king's laws, don't you think? Like, think about it. He, uh, I mean, just, he could have just compromised. He could have said, you know, I've served God for 80 years. 30 days is really not that much. I'll just, I'll just you know, worship Darius for those 30 days, and God will forgive me, which he obviously didn't do that. Daniel could have left Babylon and gone, gone into hiding. Could have, uh, you know, I've, I've not had a vacation in 80 years. <laughs> I'm going to go on vacation. I think it seems like his relationship with Darius was, was as such that Darius probably would have let him go, go on vacation or something. Um, Daniel could have faked obedience to the king by pretending to worship Darius for 30 days while at the same time worshiping God. You know, like, it's not like anybody's going to hear what he said, right? So he could be praying to God and giving the impression that he was actually praying to Darius. Maybe the easiest thing for him to do is just make his prayer life private. He could have prayed at night. He didn't have to pray during the day. There was no commandment in the Bible that said, you must pray three times a day. This was Daniel's, it was the culture of his worship. This was his devotional time. This was, this was, this, these were the, this was his quiet time. But what did he do? Instead, he decided to confidently trust in, in the God that he understood to be bigger than his circumstances. He understood God to be eternally, paternally, and benevolently sovereign over his life, even in the midst of circumstances that could end his life. And so he prayed. And uh, those who manipulated King Darius knew exactly how to get him in trouble because they knew when he would pray, which is interesting. Daniel was... Um, you know, sentenced to death by by the eating of by being eaten by lions, which is a horrible way to die. I would imagine. Like, I think that would be worse than firing squad, don't you? <laughs> like that seems really painful. That's worse. I think that's probably even worse than dying in a fire. Like you got lions mauling on you. Um, and the king, the king. I mean, he just. We're told that he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. And in these people who wanted Daniel dead. They reminded the king, hey, you can't. You'll break the law. You'll be in trouble. And so you have these three types of people. You have Darius, who's fearful. He was fearful over Daniel's life, felt totally paralyzed by his fear, unable to help Daniel. And then you had these, these, these leaders who hated Daniel. They were prideful. But there was one who was faithful, and that was Daniel in the lion's den. And here's the other thing about this story. Daniel had no guarantee that he was going to survive the lion's den. Like, he didn't pray three times that day thinking, oh, God will deliver me. He prayed three times that day thinking, whatever happens, God is for me and he's not against me. And the same is true for each and every one of us in this room. Like, God is bigger than any disease or any threat upon your life. He's bigger than covid bigger than cancer. He's bigger than death. You know, I, I, I have a friend, um, we have not talked in years, but he, 
I mentioned him a while back, Wes Connington, who spoke at one of the youth retreats that we put on for, for our junior high kids when I was involved with youth, youth ministry. And so he spoke at that retreat. And Wes, Wes had um, uh, problems with his kidneys and other health problems, and God delivered him from those things. In fact, during the retreat, he got bitten by a poisonous spider, a brown recluse spider. And like, it went really bad for him, and, but he survived that. And then he got cancer. He had, a, he had a kidney transplant, and I think it was because of the, the medicine that he had to take to keep his body from rejecting his kidney that resulted in him getting cancer. And now he's in hospice. He was probably over 200 pounds, and now he's out at about 155 pounds. I think if you were to ask Wes, in fact, he's, re, he's been re, writing blogs through this whole experience. And I know that if you were to ask Wes, hey, is God smaller than your cancer? And he would say, no, God is bigger than my cancer. And however this works out, he can heal me, but if he chooses not to heal me, um, he's still faithful to me. And the same is true for you and for me, and it's true for Daniel. We see it in his life. Like if, if there was a tombstone, to des- you know, an epitaph to describe Daniel's life, I think, I think Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through 12 would be on it. Let's, uh, let's read this together. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That was Daniel's life. You, you want to know the secret to his life, to, to how he stayed faithful? It wasn't in, in, any, in any power that he had. He just leaned into the God, into the God of all creation. Charles Spurgeon said this, they who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. And for those of you who have suffered and are on the other end of the suffering, of that suffering, many of you can see, you know, how God was working in and through your pain. Throughout Daniel's life, we know four things. I'll just reiterate these four things. One, he dependently sought God. Two, he was unapologetically um, satisfied in God. Three, he prayed regularly to God. And then four, he trusted that God was bigger than his circumstances. You want to know, you, I mean, if you want to live the kind of life that Daniel lived, if, if you're looking to, to develop the kind of faith that Daniel um, developed in his life, I think those are the four keys it all was, you know, I could boil it down to one phrase. God was the center of his life. God was the center of his life. He understood that he was made for God and that his joy and his satisfaction was only, could only be found in God, period. And he lived his life that way. And that's, and that's why we have Daniel chapter 6, because of that. Um, the worship team's going to uh, lead us in a song. And when we sing these lyrics, when we sing these words, I want you to think about the God who is El Shaddai. He is El Shaddai. He is the all-sufficient one. And I want you to hear these words right from, the, right from the pages of Scripture. That there is no condemnation. I say this a lot. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those of you, you who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So let's stand and let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, 
visit meadowbrook.org.